0: The chief information officer is the head of all information security operations within his or her company. Now he or she is tasked with determining the overall direction of the infosec resources under his or her domain, how the resources will be apportioned within the various disciplines, managing the people under his or her department and interacting with all other departments within the organization. Often the CISO is also the face of the organization as far as infosec operations is concerned and the executive is expected to interact with outside actors, including regulators, policymakers, and law enforcement agencies. Now, as organizations become more digitally native, the CISO's role needs to evolve from tactical to strategic, from being a pure technologist to one that is of a business enabler first. Now in this podcast for Future CISO, we are joined by Ms. Yvette Levijins, resident CISO for Asia Pacific and Japan at Proofpoint for her take on the evolving cyber threats and how cybersecurity is responding to these challenges. Yvette, welcome to Podcast for Future CISO.
1: Lovely to be here, Alan, and thank you for having me.
0: The backdrop of our dialogue this morning, our podcast, is around the Proofpoint Report 2022 Voice of the CISO Report. What exactly is the purpose of the report?
1: Look, it's a, a wonderful resource for the CISO community. It's our second year in a row of us producing uh, the report. And it's really, like you alluded to in your introduction, it focuses on the business aspects, the strategic side of, of being a SISO. And it, we've managed to um, interview 1,400 SISOs globally across the world. And that also included 100 SISO cyber executives within Singapore as well. So we're drawing on a, a really rich resource of knowledge knowledge and understandings. It's quite a unique report, and I'm proud to be able to speak to you about it today.
0: What's the difference between the CISO report of 2021 versus the one of 2022?
1: Ah, well, giving away a little bit here. <laughs> you'll, see, you'll, you'll see quite a, a few cognizant changes and a few sort of interesting aspects as well. But, but really what we're seeing across the globe is is that there is a, a significant amount more maturity in understanding about cyber risks and awareness. And, and we are seeing that um, executives are, are getting that greater buy-in. What the one constant is, is we still know that our user-enabled threats are the biggest and most concerning.
0: Now, what would you say would be the top three lessons you can draw from the latest report?
1: Sure. Um, You know, there's, you know, if I could only pick three insights um, and I'll keep it a little bit more Singapore centric as well, just because this is, you know, the audience today. But the first thing I want to talk about is the hybrid working model. And um, we know that this has been the norm for the last two plus years. When COVID hit, we pivoted away from working from the office and to working from home. And we do know that um, people want to still embrace that. But with that, has brought a whole lot of new vulnerability to attacks, and especially in relation to cloud tools. So this is some of the insight that our report's showing. So what we are seeing is that target attacks, ransomware, and also insider threats, which is an evolving threat, are all on the rise. And what we've found is that 44% of CISOs in Singapore are seeing an increase in attacks since adopting mass hybrid working. So it is a a concern area. But probably the second lesson, I'll call it insight, um, is that people, and I mentioned this before, still remain the biggest risk factor as most cyber attacks require human intervention interaction. And we do know that 53% of CISOs in Singapore consider human error to be their biggest security cyber vulnerability. So this, coupled with the great resignation, so we're seeing a lot more higher employee transition, means that protecting our data is becoming a bigger challenge and militia inside attacks um, are the most likely vector. So this is a bit of a change and a refocus. I guess my third insight is that while CISOs have adapted greatly over the last two years and feel a lot more comfortable dealing with the level of risk since COVID when it comes to cyber threats, they still need to be prepared for the new challenges that I've spoken about. We're seeing that uprising information protection, the work from anywhere setups are still sometimes still evolving and still not as secure as they could be because the landscape's evolving changingly and we know that attackers are playing on this. So yeah, there's the sort of three overarching um, sort of insights that I can offer today
0: feels like the more things change the more they say the same
1: <laughs> exactly exactly and it's, it's a, a, a probably a principle that we all need to anchor to <laughs> okay
0: Now, as a media, I get to receive a lot of these reports. Nearly every major security vendor out there publishes a form of security report. Now, a common theme for these reports tend to be the increasing cyber threats, especially in the last couple of years. Uh, Specific to the current environment that we are in, though, the, the uncertainties that hang over us with this pandemic. Does remote work itself make organizations more vulnerable and why?
1: Look, absolutely. What's happened is that traditionally our infrastructures within our organisation and our IT architectures were built for the office workplace. Everything was, I'll call it, behind the firewall, right? But now with remote working, we know that our users aren't behind the firewall necessarily, our user base is wherever they are working remotely, working from home, working from beside the pool, wherever they may actually be. So with this, you know, this makes um, our users so much more vulnerable to attack. So CISOs have had to pivot and really understand this new landscape and make sure that the way that they approach it is actually looked at differently. It's brought in a whole lot of new risks. And probably the one of the reasons why the insider threat risk is raised, and I touched on it before, was the great resignation. You know, it's seeing a higher attrition of people and people working from home sometimes feel that they've got an ownership of data that they may produce for their company. And without the boundaries of a physical work office, they're not sort of understanding that putting in that USB and taking data remotely from the organisation is actually not the right thing to do. So mm-hmm. There's had to be a re-pivot and a refocus for CISOs to understand what they might need to do when for this new and it's not going away hybrid workforce. You know we know that employees could cause a data breach but CISOs named malicious insiders as the most likely vector. They were the employees as I said before that are most likely to steal company information and this is this is a bit of a flip on what we've seen before. You will have reference to our state of the fish and our state of the fish also collaborates with this as well so we do know that that um insider threats are up on on the rise
0: now since the start of the pandemic well actually right at the very beginning of the pandemic we noted an increase in the use of virtual private networks or vpns and the the messaging out there is uh, purportedly to mitigate against the risk of uh, attackers using remote workers to attack the enterprise how has this worked so far it's been three years since the pandemic started
1: that's a really, really good question. I know I was a CISO, not a resident CISO when the pandemic hit, and immediately it was we didn't have enough VPN connections. We, I had to make sure that the VPN was patched appropriately. Mm. Um, did we have What were the latency issues going to be like? There was a whole realm of new things, and that wasn't even from a, necessarily a cyber perspective, but then there was a cyber angle as well. But what we do know is that VPNs were introduced, what, 20 years ago? Mm. And it was really about securing remote employees with the office. So, so just that tunnel and we know that uh, particularly with COVID hitting that our user uh, the way that we work has changed. Ramp on it again we're hybrid workers now we're now actually adopting more cloud applications and using things that way so the services of a VPN are not not defunct but the scope of what they do isn't really it has a limited use for enterprise organizations now it doesn't support for example zero trust cyber security models so it's not going to be so good for data protection so when we think think about the way forward and hybrid work is not going away we know that Alan this short-term patchwork solution needs to actually be rejigged and re-looked at and we need to be strategic about what our longer-term plan is what do we need to do to protect where our users are we need to think about where the people are because this is what's happening people are working remotely we know their attack service is increased so we need to focus on them rather than the infrastructure and as I mentioned before is that we designed our, our architectures within our organizations for people would be behind the firewall, it's now changed. We can't change that overnight, but we need to think about how we, we plug those gaps to ensure that we don't face the new cyber attacks as well. VPNs were never designed for today's complex networks, um, the, the user volumes that I spoke about, and definitely some of those higher risk access scenarios it is a bit of a scary world out there um, but yeah we sort of need to think about pivoting away and thinking about focusing on where the people are not where the office is because that's going to make sure that we address and remain as protectors as we can
0: now, you've expanded already beyond the scope of what VPN does and going into things that the size or and the organization itself has to go to review, enhance or rejig, if you will, how the organization secures the infrastructure. Now, beyond increasing employee awareness, which is a common thing that I've been reading about lately. Including preparedness, making sure that they are prepared enough. What more can be done, particularly at the board level or, or, or uh, C suite level, in order to ensure that uh, cyber security postures are remain relevant uh, because the the your environment that we are in continues to evolve, right?
1: You know, absolutely, and our C suite are getting you know, more and more interested, as are our board, and more and more concerned, I should say, about the cyber risks out there. And um and you know, our report did actually allude to a lack of alignment, well not allude, it was the data's all there, between what a CISO feels and what the C suite, what the board is sort of feeling about. And I attribute that to a couple of things. Um sometimes what I'm seeing when I'm in my conversations is that board members are very, very good at understanding for the, the generic risks of a company, whether that be financial risk. And sometimes they're more, you know, or project risk, you know, and when you focus on what type of company it is, the board members are quite savers with the risk of safety or the risk with foreign currency exchange risks or uh, whatever it might be that's unique to uh, fuel fuel risk, whatever might be unique to that company. But when it comes to cyber, there's not that maturity in that space. While, while the, the CISO and the teams are getting more and more mature, that maturity isn't always at that level. I'm seeing that, and I feel that there's not enough technologists that sit on boards, and then particularly technologists that have a specialty, say, with some cyber as well. So I think we need to think about the shift in the paradigm for our executives to really be on boards and really know to understand the questions. And a lot of them do, but it's how do we know what the right metrics are to provide them? We know that they're concerned about downtime, disruptions to operations and impact evaluation. valuation. So being able to articulate that at a business level is really, really important. We need to be able to tell the story from a risk perspective, not just a scary story, if that makes sense. I'm hearing a lot of, in my conversations with CISOs, CISOs are telling their executives scary stories and yeah. not the management well,
0: story well sometimes it's easier to get results out if you scare people <laughs> enough into action <laughs> well, one thing i wanted to discuss with you okay so we've alluded to the fact to be more effective the size so needs to be able to communicate with business partners people who are non-techies as well as remain a champion of security for the organization itself now as we get halfway through 2022 with more of these attacks coming in What sort of tips can you provide for for the size or or the leadership in order to make sure that this partnership relationship with with somebody who's very technical and very focused on a specific area, in this case, uh, cybersecurity or or information security, how do we make this uh, role more effective for the organization as a whole?
1: I think um, the transition of a CISO has moved from being someone who's heavily technical and downward facing in their organisation. The biggest skills a CISO needs to have now is probably business acumen. They do need some technical understanding, obviously. They need to be able to know what questions to ask, the right questions to ask. But they need to have that bridge to be able to articulate to their stakeholders. And it is a a challenging space. But you're a business person. You're a technologist second. So, you know, you need to be tightly integrated with what your business does. It's operations. And you've got to find that common ground with the board. You've got to be able to speak their language. You need to be able to articulate to them what the risks are to your company, but also you need to tell them what you're doing about managing those risks. But boards also want to know they're seeing other companies hit with say ransomware and they're concerned how would we be if we got attacked in the same way and this played out with us so they also want to know how well and how quickly you can recover and that goes back to boards are concerned with you know disruption of operations with you know downtime because that means that it's it's detracting away from their ability to do business and, and make the company money so it's um, an interesting space but um, you know you really got to for it to be it to be a size so you really need to be a peer say with the CIO or the CTO In many respects, depending on what type of organisation you are, you need to make sure that you're not an effective CISO, cannot be too many hops from the CEO. So by hops, I mean reporting to someone to reporting to someone who's reporting to somebody who's reporting to somebody. somebody. You can't be too down in the depths of the organisation. You need to be working at a level that's influential and you have the ear of the the CEO and you have the ear of the CEO's direct reports as well. Very important for you to be able to execute your strategy and to be an effective CISO and manage risk.
0: We've started off focusing a little bit more on the Singapore market, the CISOs in the Singapore area. What can CISOs in Singapore learn from other CISOs uh, if we draw it from the report itself?
1: Great question, Alan. What can they learn? I think geography plays a big part in the way a SISO needs to operate. Some countries are a lot more confident in the way that they operate, because that's, that's the nature of who they are culturally. Singapore is a fantastic country. Its regulations are very fit for purpose for the risk profile that you have. So, I think, you know, I see the regulatory landscape in Singapore being far more mature than other parts of the world and and the regulatory landscape is very well well understood as well as far as what they can learn is it obviously Singapore isn't you know a, a, a 250 million person country but but it is a very 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 influential city in in Asia Pacific you know with financial services and other industries so I think it's there are lessons to be learned from european counterparts american counterparts and i think collectively in asia pacific we can draw on each other because there's a lot of similarities in the way that we all operate as well
0: yvette thank you very much for joining us on podcasts for future saxo
1: delightful to be with you alan today and great to see you again and um and have this important conversation so for the voice of the SISO 2022 excited that it's been launched
0: That was Ms. Yvette Legends, resident CISO for Asia Pacific and Japan at Proofpoint on the topic of CISO as security champion and partner to business. You are listening in to Podchats for Future CISO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CISO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CISO. Bye for now.